Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Jesus said to his disciples, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning, and a, uh, a happy Father's Day to all of you to whom that applies. Uh, I'm very glad that my father, Wes Poling, is here. Um, I, my mom, uh, Carol Poling, is also here. Uh, she came on Mother's Day, and my dad came on Father's Day, so on Arbor Day I'm going to bring one of my trees. <laughs> this, uh, this week I had a very very disturbing experience. Uh, as you know, with, uh, when Karen decided to leave, we decided we would try to, uh, to distribute the administrative uh, work that we do among some volunteers and that I would pick up a little bit more of it. So I was at Office Depot this week uh, getting our spiffy new worship booklets printed uh, and, uh, and I saw something there that uh, I, I really think I should never have to see which is back-to-school displays in June. Now, I get that they have to do the back-to-school thing at some point in the summer because sometimes people go on vacation in August and they like to do the back-to-school shopping in July and that's, you know, kind of obnoxious. But in June... To have the back-to-school displays up while the kids are still in school is inhuman. And I remember thinking, that has nothing to do with the Holy Trinity, but I feel like I, I need to say it. But then, as a matter of fact, it actually does. Here's, here's why. The kids, why do they go back to school? Well, kids go back to school because there's stuff they don't know that we as a society believe that they ought to know. I had uh, I mentioned before my mother was here, I mentioned it now that my dad's here, not just because they're here, but I had a great many advantages to my upbringing, one of which was that I lived in a, a household where, where reading was encouraged, where my grammar was corrected when it was inaccurate, where my pronunciation was corrected, where my punctuation was corrected, where... High expectations were placed on my academic work. Uh, and uh, in fact, probably the hardest thing about school for me was that for the first several years of it, I really wasn't learning anything new. I kind of knew everything that they were supposedly teaching me. So it, it got rough for me when at some point I had to learn how to actually learn. I had to learn how to study because I didn't already know all the stuff that I was being taught. But it all of us at some point when we start going through school start learning things that we don't know yet. And we learn them because we don't know them and we need to know them because if we don't get taught them we're not going to know them. And this is why Jesus says 
that he will send the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth because we sure need it, don't we? There is so much, and Jim especially, there's so much, <laughs> so much we don't know, so much we need to learn, so much we forget that we just need to be reminded of. Now, reading in Proverbs speaks of this, speaks of wisdom being uh, something that people ought to pursue. One of the fun things about Proverbs is that a whole lot of Proverbs actually get, got lifted from wisdom literature from other cultures. All kinds of cultures know that wisdom is a good thing that you need to, need to pursue, need to seek, that you need to turn away from folly and seek wisdom. And that's just a, a generally a, a good thing that we need, need to do. But the fact is there is not only that which is revealed to us and to everybody else, that which is generally true, the theologians call that general revelation, but there also is that which has been given to us through special revelation, especially in the Scriptures. Paul says in his second letter to Timothy, in chapter 3, in that often cited passage, he says that as for you, young Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That word Paul uses there, God breathed. The Greek is theopneustos, and literally it means breathed by God. This is what we know as the doctrine of inspiration. Inspiration is not a certain fluttery feeling that you get when you hear something. The inspiration is the idea that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, has inspired the texts of Holy Scripture. Peter puts it this way in his second letter. He says, I want you to know that we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but these people spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It sounds like we've got some echoes there of what Jesus said about how the, the Holy Spirit isn't going to just make stuff up. The Holy Spirit is going to speak what the Father has given him to say. And what Peter's saying here is the prophets didn't just sort of improvise. The prophets weren't making things up as they went along. The prophets were speaking as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, which is how we can say that they spoke from God. These prophecies didn't come around because some prophet had a clever idea or because he felt inspired. It was because God, in fact, was breathing through the words of the prophet. Now, of course, Peter and Paul, when they say 
scripture, they're referring here to the Old Testament because certainly when Paul wrote 2 Timothy, most of the New Testament hadn't even been written yet. And the church soon came to understand that these writings of the, the apostles, these gospels, these stories about the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ also had the same kind of power, had the same kind of authority that the scriptures of the Old Testament did, the law and the prophets and the writings. And so, so they treated these books we call the New Testament as scripture. This is why when we gather for worship on Sundays, we hear readings from the whole of the scripture. Now, during Easter, we usually do readings out of Acts as the, uh, as the first reading. Uh, we take a little break from the Old Testament, but we still are reading from the Psalms every Sunday morning. If you pray the office in, in the back of, of the prayer book, you find the schedule for the readings of the daily office, and you find all the lections, all the readings from Scripture that we are to read. When people in our Episcopal Church get ordained, we affirm that we do believe the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be the Word of God and to contain all things necessary unto salvation. When our general convention meets every three years, imagine C-SPAN, but religious, and with people who only do it every three years. It's as miserable as it sounds. But when general convention meets, right there in the front of the assembly is a large Bible displayed prominently. And two things are always in order at general convention, prayer and a reading from the Scripture. So we take this Scripture seriously because the Spirit has inspired it. God has breathed this Word, and so that is why we pay close attention to it. But the Spirit not only inspired the words that we read in Scripture, not only did He inspire it in the first place, He also illuminates it as we read it. Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 2 that we, we speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. They're coming to nothing. But we, Paul says, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. Elsewhere, Paul talks about the mystery that once was hidden for ages and generations. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And none of the rulers of this age understood that wisdom. They had. They wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it's written, no eye has seen. Paul's quoting Isaiah here. No ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. This is something that once was hidden, once was unavailable to us, but now has been revealed by the Spirit. That Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? It's in the same way that no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We, Paul says, have not received the spirit of the world. We've received the spirit who is from God in order 
that we may understand what God has freely given us. The Spirit illuminates the words that He inspired in order that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. A person who doesn't have the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to Him. We talked about this last week when Jesus says the, word, uh, the world isn't going isn't to receive the Spirit because it doesn't make any sense to it. He can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself isn't subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, we, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. There's a very wise Catholic bishop who wrote a book called God the Father. If you really want to understand it, of course, you have to read it in the original French which Charlie can do, and I think nobody else. <laughs> this man's name is Emil Gary, and he, he puts it this way. He says, The Spirit gives us understanding of the thought of the Father incarnated in Jesus. By interior illuminations, he brings the greatness of Jesus into clear light and enables us to penetrate the deep significance of the sayings and teachings of the Savior. The apostles had certainly heard all these sayings, but they hadn't always understood them. The Holy Spirit brought back to their minds in fullest light all that up to then had been obscure. He will bring you all things back to your mind whatsoever I shall have said to you. So the way that the Holy Spirit illuminates the word he has inspired is entirely consistent with the way that the Trinity works. The Spirit brings glory to the Father through reminding God's people of what Jesus has said, enabling them to understand. But it's not just inspiration and illumination that the Spirit brings us. The Spirit also works sanctification, transformation. Gary goes on to say that the Spirit acts on our souls themselves to make them more attentive to the truth, more disposed to receive it. He produces, fosters, and protects in us all the virtues and very especially the theological virtues. He bestows on us His gifts that we may be the more ready to receive His inspiration. So not only is He inspired this word, not only does He illuminate this word, that he is inspired, but he makes us more able to see what he is illuminating. The world, for its part, can't receive the truth, Gary goes on to say, because it's not disposed to receive the spirit of truth. The spirit is not in the world. The world can't know him. But, O spirit of truth, abide in my soul and make thyself known by revealing the adorable master. This is what Paul is talking about here in chapter 5 of his letter to the Romans. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we have the Spirit dwelling within us, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. There's a funny little quirk in the transmission of this verse over the years. Of course, before the printing press, people had to write out copies of these, these texts, these, these documents of the New Testament, and usually you're talking about a bunch of monks hanging out in low lighting, and they're probably sick half the time, and so they made mistakes as they made the copies, and of course we go back and we can look and figure out kind of where they, where they went wrong, but then sometimes they made mistakes because they thought the theology of what they were reading wasn't quite right. I mean, it's one thing to correct the grammar or the spelling, but sometimes they tried to correct the theology. And along the way, there was a monk who decided that rather than saying, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, he thought, that can't possibly be right. What Paul must have meant to say was, let us have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's always somebody, isn't there? Always somebody who's trying to take good news and turn it into something you have to do. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, let's try really hard to have peace with God. No, he says as an objective fact, because we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through whom we may gain access by faith. No, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And that's the kind of hope that doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. And Paul goes on to say, the lectionary didn't want us to keep going. I want to keep going. He says, you see, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will die, anyone die for a righteous man. For a really good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us this way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And because of that, we have now received reconciliation. Just like Jesus didn't say, the Holy Spirit may guide you or I may send the Holy Spirit. No. He said, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will guide you into all truth. And so, I think it's especially fitting for us on Trinity Sunday as we stand together to affirm our faith in the triune God, one in three, three in one, to do this in the magnificent words of the Nicene Creed.